3ABN Australia Radio would like to welcome you to Songs of Praise.
plans. I trust entirely to your care. My life is in your hands. What better place for it to be? Trust you are getting to know our Saviour Jesus Christ better as Songs of Praise continues.
Long to eternity Stranded in time And weary of struggling with sin Forget not the hope that's before you And never stop counting the cost Remember the hopelessness when you were lost There is a joy in the journey There's a light we can love on the way There is a wonder and wildness to life Freedom for those who obey And freedom for those who obey Tune my 
Sing to God, you kingdoms of the earth. Sing praises to the Lord. Psalm 68, 32.
Cover me 
This is Songs of Praise, music to help you appreciate our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Stand up, stand up for Jesus, ye soldiers of the cross. Lift high His royal banner, it must not suffer loss. From victory unto victory, His army shall be. Christ is Lord indeed. Stand up, stand up for Jesus, the trumpet call obey. For to the mighty conflict in this his glorious day, ye that are here. Now serve him against unnumbered foes. Let courage rise with danger and strength to strength oppose.
Without number 
God lives and always wears. In the palm of your hand 
palm of your hand In the palm of your hand Oh Lord, now I lay my life In the palm of your We look forward to your company next time on Songs of Praise. Bye for now and may God bless you. Today in 3ABN Australia Radio's book reading, we're continuing I Saw God's Hand by the late missionary pastor Elwyn Martin. Much of the book is set in Papua New Guinea and is broadcast with the kind permission of Amazing Facts. In our last reading, Elwyn and his wife had just been married and were about to leave Australia for their first mission appointment in the Solomon Islands. Before their departure, Elwyn was handed a letter for a Mr James Gilmore to be delivered if ever he should meet him. But no one knew where he was located. Continuing Chapter 4 Wedding Gifts at Customs In those days, the voyage to the Solomons, a British protectorate, took almost two weeks. When we were within a few days of our destination, the passengers disembarking in the Solomons were required to fill in custom forms. We were required to declare everything in our possession for 12 months or less with the relevant purchase value. Approaching the chief purser, I asked whether I would be required to declare all our wedding gifts and our new household effects, our clothing and so on. He replied, Every last thing, and believe me, you will pay heavy duty on all goods not manufactured in Great Britain. I filled in pages of declarations until my head was swimming. I estimated I would have to pay about $60 duty, $60 that I did not have. I could see that our goods would have to be dumped. At our first main port of call in the Solomons, a customs officer came on board. He seemed to be the toughest man I had ever met. When I was paged to come to the purser's office to go through my declaration papers with him, I tried to explain that the majority of my goods were wedding gifts. He replied, Wedding gifts or not, you will have to pay full duty on the lot and let me assure you it is going to cost you a pretty penny. At that moment, the ship's gong summoned us to the dining saloon for the evening meal. I went, but was too sick at heart to eat much. Sitting at the table next to ours were the captain, several of the chief officers and the customs officer. I overheard someone at that table speak the name Mr Gilmore. My ears were alert, but no, it couldn't be. It just couldn't be. After all, there could be any number of Gilmores who were not Bill's brother. Some little time after the meal, the public address system announced, E.L. Martin, report to the customs officer. As I was hurrying up the steps, I caught up with the customs man and, gathering courage, asked whether his name was Mr. Gilmore. He asked what it had to do with me, whether it was or not, but added, yes, if it gives you any satisfaction.
Calling on every ounce of courage, I said, Not Mr James Gilmore. How silly can you be? Yes, Mr James Gilmore. Putting my hand inside my pocket, I hurriedly produced from my wallet Bill's letter and handed it to him. He broke the seal, and as hard a man as he was, I saw the tears trickling down his face as he said, Do you know Bill? Yes, I know him well. Do you know Frank? Yes, I know Frank and your dad well. In almost a whisper, he said, So mother is dead. He asked for a few minutes to pull himself together. I stood and watched him leaning over the ship's rail and looking out into the darkness of the tropical night for about half an hour. He then turned and walked slowly in the opposite direction from the purser's office. Some minutes later, over the air again came E.L. Martin report to the customs officer. When I arrived, there the customs man handed me my copy of the declarations. On each page was stamped, exempt from duty. Don't I have to pay anything at all? No, and don't argue with a customs officer. From that time on, Jim and I became close friends, and many times I sought his help in clearing mission goods during the years I was out there. That night on my knees, I thanked my Heavenly Father for fulfilling his promise, as revealed through the prophet Malachi, that if we would bring all the tithes into the storehouse, we would prove him, for he would open the windows of heaven and pour out such a blessing that there would not be room enough to receive it. Chapter 5. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. Because of my experience as a sawmiller and engineer, my first assignment when I arrived at Batuna, our headquarters for the Solomon Islands, was to catch up with a backlog of boat repairs and major overhauls and the installation of two new diesel engines in two of our 45-footers. The sawmill was at a standstill and all over our missionaries were delayed in their building projects particularly at the Amy's Memorial Hospital, where a large building complex had come to a halt. Then too, Mr Singana, our Japanese boat builder, was waiting for timber for the building of the Dandavata, Morning Light. When that was completed, I had to cut the timber for another 45-footer, the G.F. Jones. Our mission engineer was Hubert Barham, his health had broken and he was suffering with malarial fever every few days. The worry of so many boats being held up was almost killing him. My taking the load off Brother Barham's shoulders meant a lot to him. He voluntarily requested that he stay on for three months before returning to Australia permanently so as to work with me in getting caught up. So much work faced us that I hardly knew where to begin. Early each morning, the sawmill crew and I poured out the timber from the mill. Then, while the boys were stacking the timber, Brother Barham and I concentrated on the engineering. I really appreciated his help, for we certainly accomplished much during those three months. Sleep came readily after a heavy day's toil, but one night, after we had been at Batuna a week or so, I was awakened in the dead of night by a voice 
that seemed to say, Jenny is in financial difficulties back at Avondale College. I got out of my bed and by my bedside I told the master that even if Jenny was in distress, there was nothing that I could do, for I was still five months in the red from the advances received before we came out from Australia. Climbing back into bed, I was unable to sleep for quite a long while, for the voice seemed so vivid. Sleep came at last, but apparently not for long. I again heard the voice, Jenny is in financial difficulty. Although my wife and I knew Jenny well, she was not a particularly close friend, and actually I knew little or nothing of her financial position, and had not even thought of her after leaving college. But the voice was so distinct, loud and clear, that on my knees I told the master I would try to work out some way to help. Early next morning I proceeded to the office of Pastor A.R. Barrett, Secretary-Treasurer for the Mission. I asked him whether it would be possible for him to let me have some money to send to Australia. A kindly Christian man, he reminded me that I was already well in the red. However, when I told him of the experience during the night, he readily agreed to give me whatever I asked for. I did not have the courage to ask for more than $25, more than a week's wages. Later on in the morning, Brother Barham came down to the workshop. I asked him whether he would mind delivering some money to a young woman at the college when he returned to Australia in eight or nine weeks. He assured me that he would be happy to do so. When I told him my experience during the night, he said, Elwyn, do you mind if I add to your $25? For I always pay a second tithe, and I have some money that could be added to yours. His amount almost doubled the gift. Some two months later, we bade farewell to Brother and Sister Barham. My parting words after thanking him for helping me to catch up on so much work were that I wanted him somehow to get the money to Jenny, but she must never know where it came from. He agreed. It took about two weeks for the Barhams to reach Australia, and several more weeks passed before they could get medical clearance from our Sydney Sanitarium and Hospital because of their poor health. Some three months later, I received a short note from Brother Barham in which he said he had delivered the money. Often during the weeks that ran into months and months into years, I wondered whether I would ever hear the sequel to the story. When at last we returned to Australia for our furlough, and following medical clearance, I made my way to the college in case Jenny was still there. It didn't take me long to find her, and I cautiously quizzed her concerning her college program. Jenny replied, Wonderful! I graduate this year. Really, though, the year you folks left was the saddest yet the most wonderful year in my life. I asked her to tell me all about it. Shortly after we had left for the Solomons, Jenny received a telegram from her father saying that her mother was dead and that she was to return home immediately. Apparently Jenny's mother used to work long hours cleaning bank offices and windows and taking in washing to earn sufficient money to keep her girl at college. The husband, a businessman, 
was bitterly opposed to Jenny and her mother. Jenny arrived home just in time to see her mother laid to rest. Her father greeted her with the words, That's your Bible punching for you, as he pointed to the casket. Early the next morning, the Sabbath, Jenny was awakened by her father and told that she would not be going back to college, but would be working in his office. And furthermore, she would be working on Saturdays. She could forget her beliefs. Jenny answered, Daddy, I can't work on Sabbath. This enraged the father, who gave her a backhander over the mouth and said, You get dressed, have your breakfast, and I will be back in an hour or so to take you to my office. With that, he stormed out of the house. Jenny dressed as quickly as possible and hurried to nearby neighbours and told what had happened. They replied, Jenny, we can't do much to help you, but if it would help, we will pay your fare and put you on a train back to Avondale. Looking at the clock, they found that they had barely 20 minutes to catch the train. Because she had not unpacked her suitcases, it was just a matter of closing them. And within minutes... She was being hurried by car to the railway station. Within half an hour, she was on her way back to the college. Soon after Jenny arrived at the college, there were all sorts of threatening letters from her father. But the greatest worry facing her now was how to meet her college fees. Within a matter of weeks, the red figures began to mount until at last she was summoned to see the principal. He advised her that she must do something about halting the mounting figures. Jenny told me that though she worked every available minute, the red figures continued to climb. Again Jenny was called to the principal's office, and this time he advised her to try to get a full-time job until she could get her finances sorted out. Apparently she was unable to find employment, and of course felt it was impossible to return home. To be continued. Tune in again next week for the next episode of I Saw God's Hand, written by Elwyn Martin and read by Alan Lindsay. questions or comments in relation to today's program, you can call 3ABN Australia Radio within Australia on 02 4973 3456 or from outside of Australia on country code 61 4973 3456 Our email address is radio at 3 number three. ABN Australia, all one word, dot org dot au. Our postal address is 3ABN Australia Inc, PO Box 752, Morissette, New South Wales 2264 Australia. Thank you for your prayers and financial support. Listen to William Ackland as he shares a psalm from his paraphrase of the Bible called The Gift. It seems that a lot of David's psalms are in the first part of 
the book of Psalms, for Psalm 61 is one of his psalms, and again it is for the choir director. Hear me when I cry to you, O God. Please answer my prayer. No matter where I am, I will lift my voice to you, especially when I am despondent. You are the great rock who is higher than I. You have been my comfort and my shelter, an impregnable fortress safe from the enemy. I will stay in your house all my life. I will trust you to shelter me from every danger. You have heard my promise to you, O God. You have given me the legacy of those who reverence you. You will grant the king a long life, as though they were many generations. May he always be king in the presence of the Lord. Grant him your love and providence to guard him. Then I shall praise your name forever and fulfill my vows to you every day. <laughs> 